This is Sean Six from the Liquid Conversations, and I am here with this guy, Felix Griffin, and he is a drummer. And you've played with some bands, right? Yeah, I, I jammed with uh, BRI and currently uh, with Bat, some of the guys from Municipal Waste. And I got, you know, some other projects I've done over the years. But basically, I'm just a union plumber and just trying to live a normal life. The, about it. That is the best. You know what? It's kind of interesting when you think about that, because I have this concept about musicians. Musicians are just people that are kind of in between jobs for the most part. It's really, it's, if you're lucky enough to actually get a gig where you can actually be a, a regular musician and make a living off of that and support your family and pay for a mortgage and all that stuff, that's amazing. But if you can't, it's just you doing regular mundane jobs from you know Monday through Friday, you being a plumber and other than that, you just get to play drums because you like doing it. Yeah, a lot of it too, you know, I'm glad that I learned to trade because, um, you know, if you don't have something after all this music shit's over, you're fucked. You have nothing to fall back on. Yeah. That is the, that is true. And I think, you know what, I think a lot of musicians don't really want to admit that. I think it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm a musician, so I play and stuff like that. And a lot of people like, well, you know, what are you doing when you're not on tour? How do you pay your bills and shit like that? And I think a lot of people are like, well, you know, I have a couple of projects going on, stuff like that. <laughs> you're a plumber, dude. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you're literally, you're getting stuff done every single day. You're actually paying your bills. You're, you know, you're supporting yourself, supporting a family. You're doing what you have to do. And the music thing is, as much as it means to you, you understand that it's not always there. Oh, it's, no. it's in your head, and you're always thinking about that, but it's not always paying the bills. Well, you know, when I started doing it, like in 19, 19- 81 in the punk scene it was never about money i mean i i didn't ever think you'd make money doing it right and then when that thing started like the big business started seeing the money in the punk scene and we're crossing over i call it corrupt over <laughs> because yeah no shit because these managers would fucking isolate people and fuck all these bands up and we weren't used to the big business aspect no clue no no one ever is that's the thing everybody like i think a lot of people when they look at that the punk scene always had that mentality that if you signed a contract with a label, you sold out. And yeah. a, a lot of rock bands now, they're always just try, like, I, I, just need, I need to get a contract. I need to get on a label and stuff like that. That's not going to necessarily help you at all. No. Not and, at all. And you and you experienced that. You lived that. It was um it was a heart wrenching to see what happened. You know, um like the thing that's going on right now. Uh, some old friends of mine <clears throat> asked me to uh, do a reunion, and right. the other guy from uh, Billy Malone didn't want to do it, and there was some conflict. So it, I want to clarify what. Uh, and we're, we're and we're and let's you know we'll talk about it's mod. We'll talk about that. So yes. Yes. We'll we'll, we'll talk okay, about talk about that, and we'll it, talk about DRI because it goes. They're both of them coming because I can actually talk about that because I know. For a fact, you know, on uh, trademark stuff, when a band starts, you know, regardless, that band, each member has the rights to that trademark. Correct. So with DRI, Kurt and Spike are DRI. Eric, Kurt's brother, quit, and Dennis, who was the original guy, he, he quit too. So they didn't want to do it anymore. But right. if they wanted to fire back up, they have rights to that. They name. still have a rights to it. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And that's the deal with this MOD thing. What we're doing is totally separate than what Billy Milano's doing. And I have nothing against him at all. He's a friend of mine, you know. Uh, but it got crossed. I mean, this shit gets really fucked up with all these kids, you know, going back and forth and the hating and 
and all this stuff, it's unnecessary. What we're going to do is going to be totally different. You know, we're going to write old school, 80s thrash metal, and maybe, you know, we'll play some shows, but it's nothing serious. And if Billy wants to go out with M.O.D. and put out his album through Megaforce, that's fine. These guys are not going to, like, send any cease and desist and all that stuff to just cause problems, and the lawyers get all the fucking money. So it's, it's pointless. You know, um, you know, I've seen it with so many bands. And what gets me, I'll talk about Slipknot for a second. Okay, go ahead. See all that, that, that stuff that's going on with the money and uh, rights and all that stuff. You know, the big business isolates people, and they start, you know, cutting you know people out of the picture. It polarizes uh, it big time. Yes, and that's what happened... We, DRI had the worst fucking manager on earth, you know, <laughs> uh, he ripped me off. He ripped everybody off. I mean, other bands, everything. Right. And that's when I, the first time I ever saw something, um, that kind of shook me up was, uh, we went over to Europe for the first time. We're all excited. And, uh, our first album is real political, like capitalist sucks, money stinks, get my taxes back, like titles like that and we show up in this fucking huge tour bus to these little clubs and these kids were fucking pissed and uh we had this real pompous tour manager and uh came from a totally different lifestyle than us like if if we didn't have money we just go through the other person's pocket of, co- of course it. yeah yeah you know and he told me that band nazareth nazareth, nazareth yeah, yeah, yeah. The dog yeah they they fucking printed Seven million copies behind the band's back, the record company, and sold them Jesus. without the band knowing. And that's when I first got the real taste of how fucking corrupt the business can be. So it's really strange when you think about the stuff like that because I think a lot of people come into it and they're like, okay, you know, we're going to start a band because we enjoy playing music. Doesn't matter what kind of music it is, doesn't matter what genre it is. We just like playing music in general. We like hanging out. It's just me and my buddies, and we're doing our thing. And somebody says, well, you know what? You're awesome and we're going to sign you to a record deal. And that's when it all goes downhill at that point. Oh, yeah. When when uh, the first time we were sleeping in a van, we were on the small label and Dave Lombardo, and that's when um, I, I got to meet him and I was hanging out in L.A. with him and going to Tom Araya's house and we're going surfing and all that. Right, right. But we were staying at, in front of this guy's record store that owed us money. We lived in front of this house, as a record store company. Our band, every time he came to fucking work, we're sleeping out there or brushing our teeth, you know, right by the front door until he, he let us get bought out. And they were talking about publishing. And I was like, what? nobody knew what the yeah, fuck they, they publishing had, was. Yeah, had no idea what that meant. No, I was like, whatever, I don't give a fuck, you know. And so they did the publishing and the money came in. And of course, back then... The drummer were the least important person in the band because we weren't considered musicians. We're considered drummers, and you can't copyright a drum beat. That's when I started getting resentful. And then I did it. But instead of, like, I was young. I was 17, you know? Instead of, like, trying to deal with it like an adult, which I, I damn sure wasn't, I just got fucked up to where... You were just like, it, I'm, it, I'm just here for the ride, and that's all it is. Yeah, and I was getting resentful, and, it, and then we, I stayed way too long, and towards the end, I was... I was a fucking liability. I didn't give a fuck. I was, you know, destroying hotel rooms. Yeah, um, that's when it becomes, you know, yeah. Craziness. You're living the rock star oh, life dude. at that point, yeah. Yeah, I, I told the manager, the, the crook, um, that I needed a break. I needed help. And he told, he just fired me, basically, and kept going. And they got another drummer. So I never quit, and I never was fired. You kind of got pushed yeah. off to the side, basically, what happened, yeah. Yeah, and that happened to a lot of guys. You know, a lot of guys back then. So. You know, it's it's kind of interesting you talk about that because I think a lot of people, uh, 
you know, maybe it's, you know, people that are a fan, uh, when they look at music, I think they have kind of like this image that everybody who's in a band that they're touring, they're playing at a venue. One, they first, they think you're wealthy as all get out. They think you, you know, you're rolling in it. Oh my God, they're on a tour bus. They must, you know, they're millionaires, stuff like that, which is so not the truth whatsoever. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh my God, like I've literally been wearing the same shirt for like 15 days now at this point. And stuff like that, like people have, as fans, people have a different perception of what music is really like compared to somebody who's in a band. And for you, you almost kind of feel like you're the like you're the court jester you're you're standing on the stage you know performing and you're lucky if you get you know a couple of coins thrown at you or something like that yeah i mean but you know i don't know the whole time i did it you know just for fun i never i never play for money because then it takes it's a job you know yeah you know i i you know, me and Sp- since Spike took over the the finances with DRI, you know, I get checks every now and then. It doesn't mean it's fifty, a hundred, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's the gesture. But they have he has to tour, you know, because he had cancer, you know, right? And he has they have to work, you know, and um, it's hard, man. These guys aren't m- making money like people think because the CDs and all that shit is gone. They, everything's for free. So anytime yep. a, a guy r- records something, it's gone for free. All that work. Yep. You know, that they exactly. do, they don't get compensated, so they have to tour, and it's rough. You know, even like Levels of Lamb of God, I'm friends with Randy. Randy, yeah, and, Randy's uh, awesome. And, uh, I, you know, I hung out with him and stuff, but even that, you know, they're on a di- way different level, but still, you're, you're fucking in a bus all the time, and you have to play to make your money. You know, unless you're selling, you know, your licensing deal with merchandise, you know, through you know, major clothing stores or whatever, but basically, those guys, if a lot of people think... <laughs> They're making all this money, man, and they aren't. Let me ask you a real straightforward question. If, uh, you know, you went through all this, you understand how this machine works that we call music. It, it's w- what people think music is an art form. It's really a business. And why at this point in your life would you step back out into this? Is it just for the artistic integrity? Is it just so you can have fun? Is it just so you can, like, kind of go back to that kind of well, when you were a kid? No. or? Uh-uh. I did the midlife crisis tour, I call it, with uh, Millions of Dead Cops <laughs> in 2008. Yep. And it was like all underground, playing squats. It was one of the funnest tours I've ever done. And it was I made $200. Yeah. I was gone six weeks and I made $200. Yeah. But the memories, I'm not really stepping off back heavily into this stuff. Um, you know, we're going to do this MOD classic thing and see where that goes. And, right. um, and then I'm going to jam with this other punk band called the crumb bums crumb bums uh, okay awesome for that band yeah they sing for the casualties now yeah um I'm, and that's it i mean as far as doing it no way there's no i mean i got it that's why like me and ryan and uh started bat and nick and um we're, we're they're touring and stuff but i had to quit because i the, of work you know i yeah. didn't have the money because they can go out with municipal waste you know right, right, have right. A whole yep. tour lined up and I'll have to go back to Texas and figure out what I'm going to do. And I'm like 50 years old. You're, you're just <laughs> trying like, to figure uh, out how to pay your cable bill and stuff like that. And they're like, well, we're yeah. going to tour again. You're like, shit, I got bills to pay, dude. Like, I have to go home. Yeah, uh, we're going to Europe next week. And I'm like, fuck, I've got to go back to Texas <laughs> and get a job. And, and uh, so they're going to be here next week. They're staying with me. And I'm going to play a couple songs with them. Um, so, it, it, I mean, they're a great band. And I, I, I need to say something about this whole thing. The, this whole thrash stuff would not be back if it wasn't for Municipal Waste. Got in a van in the early 2000s and played every place yep. because they liked to play. 
I agree. And they, they, yeah, they, they're, they split everything equally. Even like Nick, you know, plays in bat. We started bat together. He joined Municipal Waste as a second guitar player. They didn't really need a second guitar player. He gets the fair share, you know. And and uh, I can't say enough about those people, you know, as people, how awesome they are. I think a lot of people should do more research on their, their music because a lot of these bands aren't what they are. You know, you only have one or two members and a gimmick. You know, they, they have yeah. a they have a branding right. They have a logo is really what it comes down to. So it's like you you yeah. you know, thirty years later, you're going to see you know a certain band and you see well it's you know it's on the it's on the websites on the Facebook invite for you to go to the show and stuff like that and you're like oh my god yeah I'm I'm totally gonna go see it's like there's no one in the band except for one person it's fucked because it's like people um, everybody needs to make money there's nothing wrong with making money it's how you make it you know uh, and whoever owns the name usually or they or the singer usually which. I have all respect for singers, but a lot of times they, they have the key because it's a signature sound. Right. It's their now, face. Their their face is up there. The people see them, so they think that that's the band, and really it's not. Yes, but I never knew, because like myself and other guys, Tom from Exodus, we have a signature sound on the drums, and I never knew that until, uh, all due respect to Paul and, and Slayer, but... I went and bought um, God Hates Us All years ago. Put it in. I am not shitting you. No disrespect to anybody. I put it in, played one song. I did a U-turn and went through this parking lot and went back to Best Buy. And went back in there. And they're like, is there something wrong? I was like, yeah, I wanted my money back. Because not that they, it just wasn't Slayer to me. And all due respect to Paul, right. he's a badass drummer. Dave had a signature sound, you know. Of course he did. And I, and when yeah. I've had I've had the luxury to actually interview Bostaff, and I've had you know luxury to interview Lombardo. And talking to Lombardo, talking to Dave, and you know there was a and I don't want this to sound the wrong way. There was a childhood exuberance about him playing. Like he still felt like he was a kid when he was up there. Oh yeah, you could see the smile yeah. on his face. Like he was that teenager again, just smashing on the skins, and he was like, "Oh my God, this is the best thing ever." Even though he knew that that paid his bills. Yes, because he's like that. It, Dave's a great drummer, but he's successful for who he is as a person. Of course, not for how he plays. Of course, you know, because you know, I, I hung out with him, you know, in early years and i came from a different breed than those guys i mean i was living in the streets of san francisco running around squat right. fucking selling fake acid and all that stuff and they lived <laughs> like in a, a real solid household right mother made us from a cuban family and and uh you know to see what's going on in his life now after he what he went through is right fucking awesome i'm so happy yeah for him. And, he survived it Basically, he survived basically, you know, I mean, obviously everything that happened with him with Slayer and stuff like that and him and like he's still doing something. He he to be at that yeah. to be at that age and to be at that level and still survive and still have people say, you know, take you seriously and still what you're doing is, you know, some sort of artistic credit and stuff like that. A lot of people don't get that second chance. And he did. No, not no, like even when he left the first time, you know, they me and their manager got into it at the first time I ever met a manager, really, right. we're smoking, rolling a joint, and he's like, everybody out of this fucking Slayer's dressing room. And I'm like, dude, we've been partying <laughs> with these guys forever. So we go outside, and then he comes in the hallway and starts telling me, oh, this is Slayer's fucking hallway. I'm like, fuck you. And and anyway, we almost had an incident, and he Dave left for the reasons that shared before. And they called me two weeks later and wanted me to you know, go out to L.A., and I told them no. 
And I tell people that they're like, you fucking turned down going, no, dude, going to play for Slayer. Yeah. I would never do that to my friend ever. You know, it's not about money. You know, a lot of people do that. You understand Felix. A lot of people call that integrity. And that's something that is kind of on the short end when it comes to the music industry. There's not a lot of integrity anymore. And you actually did that. You're like, well, I'm not going to go out and sell my buddy out. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get the call up to the major, so to speak, to play drums for Slayer. And you're like, well, you know what? Dave's my buddy. I'm, I'm not going to do that to him. And you know what? A lot of this comes from is the punk scene in San Francisco. Because you, it's like, right or wrong, you stood by your friends. Yeah. You never fucked your friends over. So when, when all this stuff started transpiring with the corrupt over era, you yep. know, I didn't understand how people could do that to other people. You know, I, I was so emotionally fucked up from all of it. You know, I drank for three years straight and then went to prison and fucking got out of prison and all this shit. You know, um, you know, a lot of it's my own fault, but I was young. But still, that's what was going on. It's not just DRI. It's a lot of bands that have been fucked up by greed. So, you know, I just think if people do this shit, they need to have some fucking balls and be honest. And, and you know, because the Slipknot thing, you know, really was like people fighting over... You know, a name fucking somebody over. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, and this is the thing, you know, like here on the East Coast for me, you know, the the Boston punk scene and stuff like that. We always used to refer to as snitches get stitches or it's a ride or die kind of thing. You're either a ride or die kind of friend. And you know what? I think a lot of people don't really understand what that means until they're in it. So it's, you know, when you talk about stuff like that and you talk about that San Francisco punk scene, that's that's really what it is. It's like, you know, you, you have respect with your friends and people understand who you are and you can actually still look them in the face when you see them. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, absolutely. Like Dave, we didn't, you know, we talk occasionally. Like he's always busy. He has his system, you know, when he right. comes into town. He, and I, we hang out after the show and stuff. But I don't know. It's, I, I'm into like a lot of war history. Yeah. Okay. Um, about because those people didn't fight for the government, or where they fought for each other. Right. And that's the way it was in San Francisco and in New York City. Right. Those people in New York were the, it was like coincide San Francisco, New yep. York. Uh, they go back and forth in the '80s, and it was fucking brawl. There's no guns, so it was like fucking riot. So that's you know I'm real grateful that I came up in that era and I got to experience the early San Francisco scene. Do you think that that actually kind of forged what you thought your musical kind of backbone is because of growing up in that kind of that oh, environment? Fuck, fuck yeah. Yeah, because you know the East Bay was metal. There was only right. punk and metal. There wasn't all these other genres and they did not get along. We fought and like um, they didn't come over to our side of the street, and we didn't go over there. Exactly. But um, what I saw, I lost my train of thought <laughs> for a second. But no, they, they had the big business aspect, right. like rock and roll. Right, right. And we had the punk scene. So when that you know started crossing over, it was weird. Like I was tripping out, you know, dressing rooms and you know, uh, you know, don't you don't have a pass type of stuff because years ago, like Minor Threat would come into town or something, we just all hang out, right? You know, be very social. Same in San Francisco, so it was like it was really strange that people were isolated or they thought they were better than the other person. And then you have all the women, you know, no blowjob, no backstage pass. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting when you think about that as what you thought the music industry was back then and i say industry because it even back then it was but then it was more of like you said a social event it was you with your buddies hanging out and having a good time and it was very casual and you know for a lot of people 
when it becomes that business, well, you don't have a pass, you can't get back here, you can't do this, you can't do that. I think that kind of ruins the whole experience for a lot of people. Like they want to go to a show and have a great time. They want to tune out. They want like they've literally worked their entire day job for that week and they're like, oh my God, I just want to go on a Saturday night and just tune out and have a great time and just have a release. And it's when the business kind of aspect of it kind of gets in there and like you know, it's all business now, pretty much. Oh, dude, um, like you're spending more money on a fee for the ticket than you are on the cost of the ticket. <laughs> Beers are 10 bucks. I don't drink, but it's like, <laughs> But still, <laughs> I, I know, right? To get a buzz. It's like you go to the show and you're like, well, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna go see this band play and I'm going to drop $200 and that's not even including the ticket just to get in. Yeah. Like, uh, like I said, when I went my midlife crisis tour with millions of dead cops, um, I mean, I was like, it was fun. We had this piece of shit van with Teletubbies painted on the side of it. And <laughs> we played squat in all kinds of places. And it was really cool. Like there's a, still a movement throughout the world of underground, the pirate punks. And there's a lot of integrity, you know, yeah. you look at the shit that's going on in France and that's badass. And these people are fighting the system, but in the States, it's totally different. It's, you know, well, people are so fucking media, 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 exactly. gratification. There's no, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. Like, of course. Even the violence, you know, you'll, somebody got blown away and the next thing they're talking about some kind of fluffy dog or some shit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and that kind of, that hurts my soul to a certain aspect because the reason that I started doing stuff like this, you know, doing interviews was to actually have a real conversation with people and actually say, I want to find out more about you as a person and about what makes you tick and, you know, why are you even doing this as a, as a career choice? Because a lot of people, they don't really understand, like when I asked them, I was like, why did you have another choice to do something besides music? And they're like... Well, no, this is all I've ever known. I'm like, well, then clearly somebody helped you because if you're a musician, you've had to have another job at one point or another. Oh, yeah. You know, all these guys, you know, even the guys from Municipal Waste, they work. Of course. When they're not touring, they're fucking working. I think everybody that I know of is, I mean, they're they're doing, unless you're like on the upper level, unless you own the fucking name and then you got all these licensing deals, millions of dollars, you know, and the other people need to know this, a band, there's a band member, owner, and then the rest are fucking employees. They get a 1099. They don't get any fucking tax write-offs or anything. And that money comes after all the fucking other expenses throughout the tour. The manager gets his 20 or 15% right off the top. So the deal, I mean, the band, it's a bad situation, you know, for a lot of these big time bands. Cause they're just, you know, they say they're in the band, but they're not, they're fucking employees. There's no benefits. Well, I mean, now at this point, you know, you hear people talking about a 360 deal, which is basically the label owns everything, all the music, all the creative rights, everything oh, yeah. that you could even possibly think of doing as an artist. Are you kidding me? All of it. And the thing of it is, is like so many people now, like there's not a lot of labels now. This is not the 1980s. So they're, they're not, you know, flying around in a jet and this is not hookers and blow. This is not like it was in, you know, early 80s when it was literally a bedlam of chaos. Now, everybody's so desperate just to get money in general from a label when they get it i think they feel like they're almost obligated to kind of like sign their life away this this is like the crossroad you're you're the guy you know signing your life away to the devil at this point i know it happens like you know our manager is so fucked up and i'll say his name ron peterson okay our management um we don't even have access like you know dri doesn't have access to like Thrash Zone or Crossover. How? Um, I don't know. Metal Blade, Metal Blade owns them. 
you know, for some reason, I don't know. I was never really informed of too much stuff that was going on back then, but they, they own it. Um, so a lot of, I'm sure a lot of record companies own these guys' stuff. I mean, you look at the history of all this, like uh, the Beatles or of Johnny course. Cash, et cetera, you know, all the record companies get all the publishing, but now there's no publishing. So they're going to sign those big deals of signing everything away to a company just to get the fucking money. Well, like you said, it's it's, it, it's all about that image, about that name. It's about the branding rights and stuff like that. So you can sell your T-shirts at JCPenney's and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like, I'll, I'll never forget when we went to Europe for the first time, and, and these kids were devastated, you know, that we came over there, and literally we had a huge fan base of punks in, in Europe. I think we're one of the, there wasn't very many bands going over there, and they definitely didn't have festivals like they do now with all the corporate sponsors. But we, like, literally, I, I mean, I can only imagine what these kids felt like. You know, they're, they're fucking political, left-wing, hardcore punk band that pulls up in a fucking huge tour bus, and we got, like, a rider for our, our drinks and stuff like Iron Maiden would have. Right, right, they, exactly. Yeah, they, and then they got a hold of it, and they printed those motherfuckers and passed them out. So <laughs> these kids were fucking, and I don't blame them, you know? But, you know, I, I just said, you know, that we didn't know. We didn't know what the fuck. We, we were oblivious. It was all our manager that didn't give a fuck because he was getting his money up front. Like these kids that are over there thinking that you're, you know, old school, hardcore, and they see you end up doing that stuff, and they're like, they sold out. Fuck yeah. And that crushes their dream, really, for the most part. And you as a band member, you're like, you see them, and you see that that look on their face, like they, they suddenly don't think what you're doing is realistic anymore. Like they, they, they doubt you for a, just a blip because of that stuff. It's so important what these people um, do in front of their fans. Like I, I'm a fan, like I met the B-52s, I'm a Slayer fan and, you know, David Bardo fan. So they need to pay attention to, to their actions of what, what they do. I mean, I know enough stuff. I would never share it. And I've talked shit before because I was right. angry. Right. But I will never, ever fucking do that again because it ruins, it hurts the fans. It, they is, don't need to fucking, it doesn't yeah, serve you uh, any purpose to do it. No. And another thing I don't like is concept videos. Okay. <laughs> yeah. the fucking, your imagination, when you were a kid, you know how you listen to the radio and you right. listen to that fucking song now and it takes you back. Right. Concept videos project something that they want you to see because of your own imagination. You know, so. We both know this. It is a business 100% without question. And the, what every other business does, it's about making money. So if they think they can think of your art as a commodity, they'll make money off of it. Yeah, it's um, the beast, but that's why, you know, this thing that I'm doing, you know, it, it got kind of crazy. You know, there's a lot of stress between Billy and, and the other guys, but literally right. these guys have access to the name just as much as Billy. We're going to do it, you know, we're not calling it MOD, it's the MOD Classic. You know, if the if the promoters don't want to, you know, put us, that's fine. Right. I'll play squat. I'd much rather play a small club or a squat rather than a big fucking stage with the barricades of the crowds like right. 50 feet away from you you know so the reason why i'm doing this again is to play for the people i like small places we'll play a house you'll shit. you'll play a closet well i mean and not even if somebody pays you if you can actually get a meal out of it and get out of there with your your hair still intact you're happy with that absolutely i i mean if i can get a, a some food and a place to sleep you know that's good enough because I, I never did this shit for money i never made me money you know <laughs> I, I i have a regular job and i would never do it for money you know if i can go to europe and get airfare and 
room and board and You're go happy. there and come back with nothing. That's yep. cool. That's totally cool. I did it with MDC, and I tell you, that was one of the, as crazy as it was, <laughs> that was one of the funnest tours I've ever been on because I got to go and meet, you know, go to these squats in southern Italy and, uh, we played and it just met like real anarchists. You're hanging uh, out with yeah. real people. You're having real conversations. You have real experiences with people. And it's not like it's three layers of the business that's separating you from the fan that's actually coming there to see you play. Exactly. It was like what I, everything that I, because I, you know, I'm not, I grew up on the streets and all that shit. The punk scene was a family, all walks of life, rich, poor, whatever, outcast, but it was a family. And uh, that's, it was unity. And that's why we started doing it. And, and that's what a lot of places in Europe, the, all the pirate punks, and those people are solid. And hopefully if we get over there that we can play some squats and, and um, you know, because it isn't going to be like this major thing. These guys wanted closure. They, I mean, they wanted to do a 30-year anniversary of their first album. And I was like, cool. And Billy did not want to do it. So Resisting the whole thing. He's just like, nah. I'm not feeling it. And yeah, it, and that's so, kind of, and that's kind of sad when you think about that cuz you're like there's so many people that want to see you get out there and do this just, you know, uh, SOD. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you look at that. I mean, MOD's small potatoes to SOD. Yeah. You know, I mean, just think if SOD got back together. Jesus, you know, it, but that's his business, you know, um whatever he wants to do, I respect that. But I don't want the fans of these bands think that there's some kind of battle war or whatever, because I won't fucking deal with it. You know, I won't do it. I won't have any part of it. And these two guys that I'm jamming with, Kenny and Tim, they're cool. They're solid. Nobody's going to fuck over anybody. If Billy wants to go out to MOD, that's fine. Put out his album, everything. Nobody's going to fuck with him, you know? So I hope he does, and we can just squash this shit, and I can go and, and do this. MOD classic and he can do method of destruction or whatever he wants to do because the bottom line there's no reason so many, you know, fans don't want to see all this fucking bickering no of course know? not not the, I mean look we're supposed to be adults right yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, even though yeah. we still kind of live this world where we're still like adolescents and stuff like that, but we st- we're but, we're supposed to be adults. I'm the same age bracket that you are, so I'm, we're we're supposed to be mature people at this point. We're supposed to be actually treating this like you know we're mature adults. But sometimes people kind of take that the wrong way, and it kind of goes left, dude, and things get weird. I have, I am guilty of twisting off on my old band. Uh, that's you know, fine. I didn't see the big picture. That I was so consumed about what was ripped off from me that I didn't see what they had to go. And now that I look back at what they're still dealing with, I mean, literally, the good thing about Spike is his wife is his guitar tech. And the, but they've been touring year round. Oh shit! For oh, oh man, almost I guarantee you since 2009 at least yeah. year round. They're, yeah. they're constantly a decade. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot of health insurance is fucking like skyrocketing because he had cancer and it, and it takes a different perspective because it was all me, 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 all fucking, I got ripped off all this money and blah, blah, blah. And then it comes down to, I just want to live at this point. Exactly. So I'm grateful that I can still play. I can still play at the level I was at 17, you know, and I have a regular job. I can take off work and play some shows. But, you know, a lot of, I just want, I just think people should, do their homework with a lot of these bands because like i said it isn't how you everybody needs to make money it's how you make your money and you don't hurt people you know exactly felix thank you so much for you know what just being honest just in general 
Because I think there's a lot of people that feel like they have some sort of primer behind them, like they can't actually have a real conversation. And I appreciate you just taking the time to talk to me about all this stuff. I'm very grateful that you even have me on your show. No shit. Awesome, I, mean, dude. I, I hope a lot of people listen to this and because uh, credit where credit's due, man. There's a lot of good guys out there. And um, and I spoke of them in this interview for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much. And amazing having you on here. Hey, thank you. The Liquid Conversations podcast is brought to you by Dirtbag Clothing. Wear it till it stinks.